G'day community and welcome to the Jock Reynolds Supercoach podcast. Supercoach is back baby, my name is Patch. The music you're hearing underneath is from the wonderful Teller Beats and I'm with two wonderful human beings. Damo, how are you? I'm good, Patch. I'm good. How are you, mate? I'm good. Supercoach is back. I'm getting disappointed about things. It's wonderful to be alive. Baron Von Crow, how are you, my good sir? Up the crom. Up the crom. I haven't been this excited in at least 18 months, I think. Not only did Adelaide get up, they beat Geelong, and Patrick Dangerfield has been rubbed out for three weeks. Like, Have you ever felt this happy? Well, I'm not happy Dangerfield got rubbed out, but I mean... I'm quite happy we beat Geelong. Damo, how did you go this week? How how are you faring with the, the return of Supercoach, the return of scoring, the return of Frio players getting injured? Yeah, it wasn't the greatest of starts for Phil Merriman at the Dockers. Um, my team did okay, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. They could have done better, but I guess we'll get into scoring trends later on. We will indeed, and okay, I guess, is about as well as any of us can hope for after the mess that was last year. So take it and run, my good friend. Take it and run. We'll crack straight into it. I've already mentioned the big news of the week. Patrick Dangerfield rubbed out for three weeks for a bump, like a, a kind of high bump. Um, we won't go into dissecting whether or not he should have been suspended for three weeks for it because there are plenty of other places that will do that, but... We want to talk about the supercoach relevance of him missing three weeks. Gentlemen, do we trade Patrick Dangerfield? Yes. Baron? Easy one. Yep, you've got to trade him. Three Excellent. weeks, you, you can't keep him. Rightio. There are a couple of answers as to who we think we trade him to, but um, who who would you trade him to, Damo, if you, just straight off the bat, just who, who are you trading him to? I really liked the look of Josh Dunkley at the Bulldogs. And if you looked at the Bulldogs' centre bounce attendance numbers, it looks like they're pretty steadfast on using just four at this stage. It was all across the preseason and in round one that they've only used four with a pinch hitter coming in every now and then. So I think Josh Dunkley is a good choice. Um, Dane Zorko is also another that I would have a look at as well. No love for Dusty Martin after he's 158 on the weekend. I like Dustin Martin, but I don't know if he is a must-have trade option. But in terms of getting a like-for-like, you could definitely move Dangerfield to Dusty Martin. Especially up against the Hawks this weekend, who don't tag. Exactly, and I liked the look of him with the interchange cap lowered because it was like he was playing with fresh legs for last quarter when no one else was, and he, he just looked very, very good at football, which we know he is. He can't be you know, a three-time North Smith medalist without being good at football. But And this sounds really strange to say, but it was almost like a finals-like performance from him because we all know he does better in finals, but... He played as if round one was a final and it really aligns with what Damien Hardwick was saying that he was so much more in front of the other Richmond players in terms of his preparation for the preseason to the point where they had to tell him to slow down. Yeah, I mean, it is Carlton's grand final, so it is kind of a final, um, which I can say because Lex's not here to defend himself and nobody's mentioned the one-point loss that we're not going to talk about. so I can take pot shots. Baron, in terms of uh, who you'd be replacing Paddy Dangerfield with, we've mentioned the the other three who are 
basically locks to be top six forwards. Is there anyone sneaky that you, you had an eye on or any, any fancy plays you were looking to pull? I reckon when you're just going for a trade like this, don't be fancy. We don't have enough form yet to know if those fancy guys are going to keep on with it. I remember, I think it was um, Connor Rosie last year who busted out with two scores of 140 in the first two rounds, and I don't think he got close to it again for the rest of the year. So you just, for me, it's taking too much of a risk this early to jump on him. I know if you trade them later, you're not going to have them. Um, but yeah, just Lusty Dusty or Dunkley, they're your easiest are you, are you meaning to. to tell me that, that Tex Walker is not going to average 146 for the rest of the season? Listen, do you know what happened? I'm going to let you all in on a secret here. I went in the DeLorean. I traveled back in time five years. I got the Taylor Walker from 2015, brought him forward to 2021. I can't do that every week. I just can't. Don't no, expect I mean, to see that. Have you seen fuel prices these days? DeLoreans just guzzle petrol. That's right. It's I'm not, I'm not made of money here, people. No, but let us know when you do I'll, do head back in time if you can I'll save give you a tip last... for your multis to put onto the five goal game. Season, hail Mary, um, D- Damo. Is there any merit to potentially looking at a Jack Zebel after he scored one hundred and thirteen on the weekend with Luke McDonald out for another couple of weeks? Is it poten- possible to go danger down to Zebel and then bank, you know, three hundred and fifty k? I would say most people that have Dangerfield would also have Zebel, but yes, that is definitely an option. Yeah, there are some of us that were too dumb to start with Jack Zebel. Um, not many, but some, and I'm one of them. I'm um, also one of them. But right, so I think that covers most of the Dangerfield options. If you've dodged Dangerfield, perhaps you didn't dodge the Matt Rao bullet after the promising Gold Coast Wonder Kid did his knee and set the whole footy world just in tears. Um, Baron, what do you, I mean, obviously you have to trade Raul in that weird sort of 500k bracket of players. What, what do we do with him if we don't have a lot of wriggle room with cash? Yeah, it's a tough one. You can, the first thing you can do maybe is look at if you don't have someone like Golden in your team and that way you can get some cash to then upgrade someone else. If you did have a mid price that you took a chance on that hasn't worked elsewhere, um, You've still got Taranto there, who's, I think, 40000 cheaper, 50000 cheaper. So you can make a little bit of cash there. Um, but, yeah, your options are kind of limited given his price. I think uh, Walsh is only thirty grand more, so that's a doable one there probably if you've got that little bit of extra cash lying around. Yeah, had 122 on the weekend. Looked very, very good. Um, Damo, what are your thoughts on the Matt Rowell situation? At 499k, you either have to move up by using money that you've got left over, if you've got any money left over, or go down. And players that come to mind immediately for me are Bailey Smith and um, Adam Chera. Oh, it's sneaking an Adam Chera reference into a podcast. It wouldn't be a wouldn't be a demo featuring podcast without it. Talk to us about Chera. How do you go on the weekend? Are you still bullish on him? Well, he actually did quite well. I think he scored about 122 against the Demons, um, attended most of the centre bounces. They're, uh, they're Brayshaw-like numbers, Damo. Well, Brayshaw produced a very similar number too, So, but he's 50k more expensive, so it really depends on what you can afford. Yep, I do rate that, that share of selection. Um, 
yeah, I've learned from my mistakes. I'm not going to go against the Frio young mids again after Brayshaw hurt me for not going with him. I think that's a good call. One that I've heard floated, um, shout out to Tyler Maher for this one. Um, potentially, if you've got Rory Laird in your back line, swinging him into the midfield and bringing in Zach Williams at roughly the same price, how crazy is this idea? Look, I wasn't a fan of Zach Williams before he got suspended, but in terms of a replacement for Matt Rowell, I do like it. And having Roy Laird in your midfield does have merit because um, the top scorer of the round actually started Roy Laird as his uh, as his uh, M4 in his fourth midfield position. So there is that um, flexibility available for people and there's other people that you can look at in that similar sort of vein. So you can move Roy Laird into your midfield and look at a Jack Bowes or a... Or, or a um, Jake Lever or even a Stephen May as well. Baron, what are your thoughts on uh, on swinging a backline? Yeah, I'm a bit the same as Damo in that I'm not exactly sure if Williams is the guy to pick, but replacing Rao with Lead is definitely an option you could take. Brilliant. Um, any other um, crazy moves you're, you're thinking for Matty Rao? Either of you? If you have a rookie that hasn't performed great, like let's say Ned Carl, uh, you could put him and Raul together and go for two mid prices, a bit like a maybe like a Caldwell and a Clark or something, or something like that could be the go. But um, yeah, no, I think you need to replace someone who you expected to keep all year with someone else who you expect to keep all year. Yep, I think that's fair enough. And you've mentioned, um, you know, there were some of the rookies that underperformed. There were some that overperformed this week. We may as well segue into the rookies here. Is it, who, who are the must-have rookies? It, I know it's, you know, it's still another week to go before prices change. Um, but who are we looking at in terms of rookies that we need to keep an eye on? Obviously, Errol Gordon, uh, Baron, you mentioned him earlier, scored 139 on debut. James Rowe turned up with 104. Who are some of these guys we really need to be keeping an eye on and making sure we're able to get into our sides next week before prices change? Uh, Two ones that have slightly lower ownership than everyone, James Jordan and Chad Warner. James Jordan from Melbourne only has 21% ownership. Chad Warner only at 23. They both scored in the 70s, which isn't an outrageous score, but for a rookie, that'll make some nice cash for you. That'll do. Um, That'll do. Yep, exactly. And... Logan McDonald looked good, but then we have the Buddy Franklin returning thing, so I think you would probably put him slightly lower on the priority list to start with. Or does that put him a little bit higher? Does that mean he takes a, a third defender instead of a, a second defender? Yeah, but you you, you got to think they're going to be feeding Buddy too. They're going to they, – how many goals does he need to get to get the record or whatever? And you don't know how many games he's going to play. And he hasn't yeah, played true. for ages, so you get Buddy involved. Let's get Buddy involved. I just have a bit of a fear it might be a case of that, at least to start with. And if you started with Hunter or Meek on your bench in your Ruck 3 position then, and you went without Matthew Flynn, then you need to get Matthew Flynn into that position. Very much so. Very much so. Um, 
Oh, speaking of rucks, did both of you go with the rookie R2 move? I wish I did. I had um, Gorn and Grundy, but I do have Flynn on my bench as my R3, so... Radio. Well, I'll try not to gloat too much, but I had Flynn at F2, and I thoroughly enjoyed having Flynn at F2. Um, is, it, is it panic stations for you guys, looking at, at Grundy and Gorn not scoring all that well, um, and then potentially you know, the game being a bit quicker with any man in the mark rule, the ball getting further down the field, Rucks not having as much a chance to run and, and catch up and not as many stoppages. Are, are we concerned about Rucks? Like I know we kind of have had this a few years in a row, but are we? is this is this the year that we get really concerned? I'm not concerned yet, but I think this is the year when if teams have two Ruckmen, we no longer have to be concerned with output because a Ruckman having a second position is now going to boost their scoring rather than hinder their scoring, I think, especially with the new rules. So Gorn likes to go behind the ball and intercept. There's also been talk about him going ahead of the ball to create a marking target. That's good for Supercoach. Um, even though he did have a 70-odd point second half, I don't think there is cause for concern yet, especially especially in his case. For Grundy, however, he did have Mason Cox in the side, but when Mason Cox went into the ruck, Grundy was more often than not off the field. So I think Nathan Buckley will be looking at ways to inject Grundy into the play more. So that might see Grundy play as a key forward or even on a, on a wing using his running capacity. Yeah, Baron, what do you reckon? What did you gain from the weekend? Yeah, I think um, Damo brought up a good point about Grundy and his running capacity. And we're talking about, you know, the game being too fast for Ruckman, but I, I'm not sure if that's going to be a problem for Grundy. He's a fairly mobile big man and he can move across the field. Um, so if it's a case of they're benching him rather than deploying him elsewhere, then yeah, his scores are going to suffer. But if, if they start putting him on field elsewhere, then I don't think we'll have a lot to worry about. Um, same with Gorn. I think he's just too good not to score well. He will have bad games. He started last year with the same sort of score in the 90s and then rattled off six scores of 140 plus after that. Um, so n- nothing to panic about yet. Obviously, next week will give us more to go on, whether we need to then start thinking about moving him out. But for the moment, I wouldn't be considering trading either. Maybe consider if you're going to put the captain on on them because normally Gorn's an automatic captain. Um, but, yeah, not, not, not trading him yet. Now, would there be a, a moment where potentially you, you might think about it? Like, where, where do you see this progressing, Damo, as someone who's smarter than I am and knows things? Like, will the, will the scoring rebound or, or will it be slightly lower than, you know, the 130s we've come to expect the last couple of years? Where where do you see it ending up? I don't know if they will get to the 130s that we've grown to love over the years, but I don't think it's going to be a case of one or two Ruckerman creating a massive gulf between the best and the next, um, the next bunch. So we could see a case where the top three Ruckerman are only sort of uh, separated by about 50 points 
in in in, t- in total points. So we might see games where the Ruckman score sixty points and someone else scores one hundred and twenty, and then the next round it, it's a it's an eighty eighty and you know, all that sort of stuff. So I don't think Ruckman will be as dominant as they have been able to be in the past, but that's only because of the new rules. Um, teams will adjust to these new rules as the season goes on, though. And to be honest, there were a couple of games on the weekend where I thought. There's not much slowing down of the play happening here. Not many Ruckman needing to get involved. But um, there are other games where the game seemed to stop every two or three minutes Need and it needed a, a, a throw up. So um, I don't know if round one is the best indication for a trend, but across the nine games, there was definitely... Um, a lack of Ruckman influence. Yeah, no, it's, it, um, I reckon you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. There's, um, yeah, it's very hard to, to call it a trend off the, off the nine games or one game each, especially when we saw a bunch of different conditions as well. Obviously it was very, very wet in Sydney. So Flynn had a lot more stoppages because the ball was just not going as far. Um, so I'm not sure we'll see that 140 from here on out, but I think we, we saw enough of Paul Hunter to see that Max Gorn's probably going to monitor him on the weekend, regardless of how many, uh, contest um, contests there are around the ground. It's also worth um, pointing out that Steph Martin is a very good negating ruckman. So against Grundy, Grundy hasn't previously scored all that well against Stefan Martin. I think he has an average of about eighty six against Brisbane back when Steph Martin was at Brisbane. So I'm not all that worried about uh, Brody Grundy's round one performance. It's his performance against. Mark Pitney, that is that will tell the real story as to where he's going to end up in rounds two, three, and ahead. The only thing that gets me about Grundy is the Collingwood midfield isn't as dominant as it once has been. We saw Pendlebury get caught holding the ball multiple times. We saw some some sloppy disposals from from Adams and the and and the like. So he wasn't hitting it down as directly as he could be. So I so he lost points for opposition sharking his hitouts as well, and maybe that is another thing that we need that we needed to consider before before we picked him. Yeah, potentially. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah, um, yeah, certainly something we'll need to keep an eye on. But yeah, there's no no reason to trade him on on that alone. At least in my humble opinion, anyway. Um, certainly don't need to trade him to Tom Hickey, who at 261k scored 123 on the weekend. So if anyone saw that coming, give me the crystal ball. Just just fork it over. Imagine starting with a ruck line of Hickey, Flynn, and uh, Make. Oh my goodness! Just rolling in cash. Enjoy your you know your 300k ruck line. Goodness me, goodness me. Um, if you didn't have Dangerfield or Rowell. Should he be making any trades this week? It depends on how your team performed. If you can see improvement in your lineup and you didn't score fantastically, then I would hold and see if your team can can improve. Um, in the case of my team, it just felt like every player wanted to score about 80 points each. Um, so hopefully that improves in round two, but round one can always throw up some crazy numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hickey scoring 123. If that's not a crazy number, I don't know what is. Uh, 
but yeah, there's certainly certainly no scope to to be trading a Lockie Neal down to a Travis Boke just on the back of of Neal scoring you know the seventy odd and Boke scoring one hundred and sixty. Yeah, you've yeah. you've done your research now, so you just a bit of backing your gut in, like you know, Jarman MP scored sixty four, I think, which is probably less than what we projected. We were hoping he would get in the seventies, but then you know you look, he had twenty disposals, seven rebound fifties, five marks, so that's a good stat line to get 70 points, he just had five clangers included in it too. So you go, oh, he, he mistimed a couple of kicks. If he doesn't do that next week, he's that's an extra 10, 15 points he'll get. Because him getting 20 possessions is not going to be a, a wildly fantastical event for him. He can do that every week. So I would just stick for one more week at least, even if he didn't have Flynn because um, – He's not going to rise in price and you get another week just to see if it was a fluke of him smashing a state league level Ruckman or if he's actually that good. The worst thing you can do now is is make a, a crazy move like, oh, get rid of Grundy and bring Flynn in. And then next week their scores reverse and well. Agreed. It sounds very simple, but it's so easy to forget it at this time of year. Um, especially with some of the rookies as well. You, you look at a Gordon, he might score 30 next week as well. It's it's so easy for it to just yeah just turn on its head. Like James Rowe got 104. He had a great game. But we, we know even the best small forwards don't score 100 points a week, you know. They will have games even like Charlie Cameron. What did he get in the weekend? Like 30 or 40 or something? Not a lot. Didn't help when Brisbane got smashed by a very young Sydney side, which no, I didn't but, see coming. But so you, you can't just make panic moves over one game, especially for rookies. Agreed. Lads, is there anything else we wanted to tackle this evening? Anything else that had, had piqued your interest over the uh, the opening round of Supercoach? Just one thing I'm keeping an eye on. I don't need another comment unless you guys want to chime in. There's all, there's roughly 3,300 uh, 3, points allocated to each game from Champion Data. It felt like the scoring freed up once teams activated their medical sub. So I don't know if Champion Data is holding back points in in anticipation that the sub will be injected into the game, but it just felt like once subs were activated, points seemed to be more free-flowing. Something I'm just keeping an eye on for round two. Yeah, it's an interesting observation. I had not picked that up at all or even considered that that would be a thing. It's Yeah, no, I hadn't even considered that. Is that something, um, that something that could lower scores either, to be honest? But yeah, that's a great point. Did you feel like the subs had more points, like more points per possession or more points per, per impactful thing they did? Because there are some sub scores I looked up and went, they scored 50 in you know, 20% game time, which seemed, you know, Maybe it's because they're coming in at the end of a game, but yeah, it just felt a bit like the the scoring was a bit inflated for some of them. I was very surprised by Stefan Giro's um, score. I think he had about five disposals for forty three points or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, you could certainly um, see a scenario like in the Essendon Hawthorne game. You know, you, your sub Essendon comes Hawthorne on, game. you know. Never was a game that didn't happen then. How yeah. about I refer to it just as that? But he comes in round one in a game where it's a goal difference, you know, and we know Supercoach weight the scores on importance and that if that player comes in into that scenario where it's a tight game and the the points are counted 
or the actions of the player accounted for more points, you know, that could definitely impact um, what they score as well. Absolutely. One to keep an eye on. Um, and well, well spotted demo. Speaking of things that uh, you'll be spotting, you've got a, another spin on the mic later this week. Yep. Episode two of the jock mailbag. Episode one was a huge success. We uh, decided that Alex Pierce has the best hair and I think crowning him with the best hair almost broke his leg. That's yeah, a problem so I'll make sure have to you, worry make sure about. You, yes. Yeah, make sure you tune in, if only to find out who's going to get injured during the week. Um, where can people send questions? Because there'll be oodles of questions after this big old round of Supercoach being back. How do people, how do people get onto you? So um, any of the Twitter posts which uh, promote the, uh, e- the email address, which is jockmailbag at gmail.com, there is an anchor tweet which uh, was put out on Sunday evening. Um, but there's also been multiple tweets as well with that same email address in it. We'll be getting questions from all over for this episode coming up tomorrow. Well, we're recording it tomorrow. comes out Thursday. comes out on Thursday. Get your questions in that email address again, jockmailbag at gmail.com. Get it in. Make it happen. Gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out and talking about round one of Supercoach. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And we will be back um, later this week. There'll be plenty of stuff coming out on the website. We'll have captains. We'll have write-ups. We'll have the whole shebang up there. Check out jockreynolds.com. And, uh, yeah, tune in on Thursday for the uh, the mailbag pod.